This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 16. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today I'm also joined by a special guest, Tim Heron, which uh, I'll bring him on here officially in a moment. We're going to go ahead and get right through our sponsor messages here today so Tim and I can get to today's uh potentially controversial discussion. We'll have a great time with it. But first, today's sponsors are Silencer Shop. Silencer Shop, of course, is our title sponsor of the podcast. And if you're looking for the simplest, easiest way to get set up with your first or second or several suppressors, please consider going to silencershop.com today. I've used their services a couple of times now. In fact, waiting on two suppressors in jail right now uh looking forward to one of those should hopefully be getting released to me any day now very excited about that but i'll tell you science shop made the process so 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 easy uh atfs that's a whole other thing you know they got their own thing uh we're kind of at the mercy of our atf overlords over there but science shop breaks down the process it really does tons of things that you used to have to do on your own and makes that process incredibly manageable. Not only that, they have a huge selection of suppressors on their website and prices are always very, very reasonable. Uh, Watch for a number of promotions and specials they run as well, including some options where you can get your uh, your actual tax stamp cost uh, wiped out. You know, you basically get that included in the purchase of your suppressor. Lots of great opportunities there. Go to silencershop.com today. Appreciate your support of our sponsors, especially our title sponsor. And our other sponsor of today's episode is CCW Safe. If you're looking for, in my opinion, the best self-defense legal coverage program out there, please consider CCW Safe today. Go to ccwsafe.com. Uh, the the uh, code CC podcast will actually save you 10% off membership with CCW Safe. You know, a few years ago when I was looking at switching coverage and going to CCW Safe, one of the huge factors that brought me over to them was actually just getting to know many of the people behind the company, also behind the scenes and what they do, their values and their approach to doing business, especially as they back their members. I know that not everybody gets the opportunity to meet the founders and, and the and the folks behind a company like that. Uh, but I had that opportunity and I could tell you that they are some of the best people in the industry. And I appreciate having nobody else, but but those guys backing me up as one of their members. So please consider CCW safe today. Again, use coupon code CC podcast to save 10% off membership at ccwsafe.com and guardian nation members save 20% by using the code available to them in their members dashboard area. And so that is our sponsors of today's episode. Let's bring Tim back in here. Hello, sir. Hey, Riley. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. And I'm glad to have you with with me on another podcast. It's been a while. Yeah, uh, yes. So, I'm glad to be on. Thank you. Thanks for doing this with me today. Recently, there's been quite a bit of discussion. Uh, I mean, it, it does seem to be the 9mm versus 45 ACP debate of, the, of our current age. Um, but recently, you know, a very prominent member of our community, someone well-respected and rightfully so, mm-hmm. uh, 
Ken Hackathorn. I mean, I'll mention his name because everybody knows who he is and probably has seen his video in some form somewhere. Uh, You know, he did a video not too long ago, basically talking about, you know, red dots and iron sights and he shared his opinion. I thought there was a lot of solid points that he made in that video. And clearly many people, many opinions on both sides of, you know, the iron sight supporters, the red dot sight supporters, a bunch of people probably in the middle there and lots of opinions being shared clearly by people that probably never actually watched the video. <laughs> I agree. That's, as we all know, right? People see just the title of a video and they're immediately like, I need to be up in arms. I'm like, but did you even watch it? So right. there's another video that I'm sure, um, you know, has had the same kind of reaction with folks. Um, a video called Aiming is Useless is, is kind of the same way. It gets the same reaction from people, and you can always tell their reaction on whether or not they actually watched <laughs> the content of the video or not based on just the title. Right. So, Well, you know, I'll tell you what. There, <laughs> as far as clickbait-type titles go and videos oh. go, uh, the response video to Ken's You Don't Need a Red Dot video is Rob Latham's Aiming is Useless video. <laughs> Because there you go. Like, that's all you like. Hey, you don't need a red dot because guess what? Aiming is useless. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to see your sights anyway. Exactly. Right. Don't have time. Don't have time. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so uh, you need to actually watch these videos and you need to actually listen to what's being said and sometimes even think a little bit about what is said. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there's there's some subtle truths that are buried, you know, some real nuggets that are sometimes, you know, not if you're just kind of like if it's playing in the background or or you're trying to multitask, you might not pick up on some of those things, and and right. that's another thing too. I I, I watched uh, Ken's video and you know really had to like break down some of what he was saying, and I'm like, you know, uh, on the surface, if you hear that, you'd be like, oh, what the heck? But at the same time, if you actually listen to what it means it's like right. oh actually that's a that's a valid point and the same is true with uh rob's aim uh, aiming is useless video so yep anyway so you know i i wanted to have you on tim because uh you are for those that don't know you first of all I'll give you a shout out to your training company which people can find at tim mm-hmm. so they can see your whole calendar of of shooting uh, uh classes available all across the u.s yep. uh and that I know you've got already your 2023 calendar pretty much booked out and, and, uh, but people it love is. training with you. So, I mean, that you're doing a lot of things right there, but, uh, uh, you are a USPSA grandmaster, uh, specifically you're, you're well-regarded for you. I mean, you're one of the top national level competitors in single stack division. That's mm-hmm. kind of your division mm-hmm. of choice. Uh, you've been shooting in, in for a number of years now. So, with that being expressly an iron sighted division, uh, and you're obviously very good at using iron sights, I I lean a little bit more towards I, I like my dots. I, I really like shooting with dots. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty effective with a red dot on my gun. Uh, been doing it for a few years now, but I also recently had the opportunity to kind of swing back to the other side after not doing much with irons, at least in a serious at a serious level for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the last, about the last six weeks, I shot irons exclusively so I could get back, you know, in the groove of, of doing that for production nationals, which I, I, I learned a lot through that process. But with my preference 
and slight bias towards red dots for me. And with your expertise in iron sights, especially so, uh, I wanted. I thought this would be a, a good fit to bring you on. So, yeah, this is great. I love this topic. So, yeah. Um, now, to be fair, like it's not like you can't shoot red dots on handguns either. No, I've seen no, you do I, that. I shoot, I shoot plenty of plenty of red dot pistols as well. Um, in fact, we were just kind of going through the the gun safe the other day, trying to rearrange things and organize and kind of realized, you know, I was like, Oh, I think I've got like two or three. And no, I think, uh, I think we kind of the other day, I, have, I think I have five or six now um, red dot pistols, you know, that are, that are uh, they're permanent red dots on them. They're not going to, you know, ones are like, Oh, I'll dabble a little bit and then I'll take it off and put it on something else. I mean, no, it's, I've, I've got like six solid red dot pistols that, and some have got, you know, anywhere between 15 to 25,000 rounds through them. Um, as well as obviously a, a plethora of, uh, of iron sight guns as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm no, I'm no stranger to, to red dot pistols either. So. Well, what would you say just guesstimating like rough percentages are of those uh, that attend your, your classes uh, between say optic guns and, and iron sighted? Oh man, that's a great question. So it used to be when I very first started teaching uh, 2015, 2016. And then when I went full-time in 2018, um, teaching. I mean, even in 2018, I was still probably 70, 30, uh, more towards iron sights. Right. So, I mean, for every, every seven out of 10 students or so were iron sight shooters. And then you'd have the three or so that were shooting red dots. And it's really been interesting to see that ratio change, um, to where now, um, I mean, I, I've gone, I've had multiple classes where it has been 100% red dots um, with zero iron sights. Um, and in fact, now I, I, I'm seeing the opposite. It's it's more now predominant 70% to 80% red dots with, uh, you know, with the occasional 20 to 30% iron sights. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's still a few of us diehard iron sight shooters out there, but I mean, for the most part, and it's and like when I'm traveling to teach, I do bring both uh, styles of pistols. I bring an iron sight gun as well as a red dot gun, um, primarily to, to teach folks, you know, like aiming systems are kind of a secondary to like what our focus is, which is just becoming a better pistol shooter, you know, and then learning how to use whatever aiming system is on the gun, whether it be an electronic red dot or whether it be good old, you know, old fashioned, you know, just kind of steel iron sights. Um, like, you know, like my goal is to make you better with whatever aiming system that you prefer and, and teach you how to be a better shooter with that. So, yeah, yeah. You know, something that I've spent some time thinking about, you know, in the last year or two or, or so is uh, just how, like, like thinking about the concept of aiming, like what is aiming? And uh, really, I mean, we learn aiming from dang near birth when, you know, we first are able to lock eyes on something mm -hmm. and point at it with our finger and be like, you know, I want that essentially uh, in whatever, you know, gobbledygook that you could manage as a four month old or six month old or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, aiming is, uh, is something that we do with our first with our eyes really. Right. right. It's like I have to locate something that I want to aim for. And then we are typically bringing a hand, a finger, uh, whatever, or a gun in a hand, you know, to that the sighting system is, not really so much the thing we aim with it's the it's the confirmation device correct yep yeah 100 percent. whether we're confirming it with 
with total focus to it, or we're confirming it with focus beyond it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So talking, you know, whether we're target focused or focused on the the sighting tool itself, right? So, mm -hmm. which obviously there's a lot of different approaches there and, and preferences amongst uh, different folks. Uh, I, you, you tend to, my understanding is aim or focus more on the target than I your do. sites, um, which that's something that in the last six weeks, as I ventured back into iron sighted only shooting uh, was fun to, I mean, I'd experimented with it here and there over the last few years while I've been primarily shooting dots, but like really having to, guess what? This is the thing I'm going to rely upon now for the time being. And I'm going to go and shoot a national championship with an iron sighted gun mm -hmm. with very little, uh, practice leading up to that. Uh, it, it was a really interesting experience and experiment uh, that overall was mostly successful. There were definitely some some struggles along the way too, though. But <laughs> but um, you know, traditionally we're taught, hey, you know, you got those those bumpy things on the top of your your slide of your gun, and like front sight focus, front sight focus, like that. This is the way. Um, what, what's I mean? Do you do you think that that is still a possible answer or uh is it something else um i i don't necessarily believe it is like the answer um for for most of what we do uh, in in our particular pistol sport right and and even regardless of like saying the pistol sport like uspsa or idpa think about it just in practical shooting like practical application of aiming a a pistol at a particular target whether it be defensive or for sport um and i i i don't believe like kind of absolving yourself to i need to be focused on one particular like point or one port, one particular point of, of focus or accommodation is kind of the end all be all. Um, so the problem I typically see with with students in classes or uh, or with people that kind of preach the mantra, so to speak, of hard front sight focus is that their focus in and of itself, right? Their visual accommodation to let's say just the the front sight on the on the gun um, leads them to so much focus there or so much attention to the front sight that they become almost blind to the alignment of the rear of the gun or the rear side of the gun um, as it relates to their to what the front sight is focused on or, or what the, what the front sight is aimed at. And then of course, then they start to lose accountability um, as far as like alignment of the, of the pistol itself to a particular spot on the target. So even though, you know, there's a hard front sight focus and the target is slightly blurry or the target is completely blurry, um, and the rear sight's going to be kind of out of focus. I don't necessarily believe that's an answer because like you basically, you're aligning a point of axis of the pistol to a, a point beyond it. And you're trying to also focus on a point in front of it to try to align that one particular point of axis to, um, to a target. And honestly, like I, I kind of despise using words like focus or a hundred percent attention things. And you and I have had this conversation before. I really love to use the term awareness, you know, being more, more just visually aware 
of the alignment of things. Because when we think about focus, like, you know, words have meanings and like even thinking about just like, I need you to focus on something, whether we're talking about a visual focus or an attention, like a mental focus to something. When we tell somebody to focus on something, all of their attention is derived to one particular one particular thing, whether it be, whether it be spatial awareness to something, whether it be mental awareness to something that like all of their awareness is focused on one particular spot. And with aiming the gun, it's, it's kind of the same. Like if I tell you to focus on the target, I'm actually telling you something probably just as wrong as telling you to focus on the front side. You know, I like to use, like, be aware of the target and be aware of what the site or how the sites or the sighting system is aligned to said target. Right. So I'm using the I'm using the sites kind of peripherally because I'm just mentally or visually aware of them, but I'm not stimulated in one particular like accommodated focal point or focal plane to either the front site, the rear site, the target. I'm just aware of everything around it and through it, you know, and I, I think that's a big that's kind of a big misnomer that a lot of people think, you know, is they're, they're told like, well, you know, I think for a long time, maybe that front site focus was should about probably been taught as being more front site aware so that people could better align the sighting system itself to the target um, without losing the like the awareness of the target, the alignment of the gun and everything that goes along with it. Um, and we've taken it like, you know, over the last 50, 60 years, we've taken it to mean something different than maybe what what it was meant to. So. I don't know. That's kind of my, my thoughts on it. So if I can teach somebody to be more, just be more aware, like you're going to be looking at the target or maybe even a particular spot on the target and be aware of the alignment of your sighting system, whether that be a red dot or the iron sights to that particular spot on the target. Now we're cooking with bacon, right? Like now we're getting somewhere in this whole, this whole, should I be front sight focused or target focused or dot focused? Or like, I just want you to be aware of everything. Mm-hmm. And the more aware you are of it, the better your attention is to things and the better your accuracy becomes. Absolutely. So I was re- reminded of uh, just a simple little example that I <clears throat> have done in classes, typically probably about every class at some point, talking about site awareness, whatever the site is. But uh, just telling a student like, hey, I want you to, and we do talk about uh, focus uh, in the in the form of, you know, using the word accommodation, which not everybody's quite as in tune with what that is or what that means. Um, But, uh, you know, accommodation is that focal distance or plane that we are actually bringing into into focus that we can see it clearly, right? Convergence is where my eyes are actually pointing and, and meeting on a particular point on an object or whatever, which is, you know, uh, Gabe White did a great job in his write-up about accommodation and convergence of the eyes and kind of the differences there and how those work and mm-hmm. what we're trying to do when we're, you know, shifting accommodation as we need to, to see, you know, whatever it is we need to see. But um, simple ex- ex- exercises, you know, focus or you know, accommodate your eyes on this specific point. Like let's say the letter A in an A zone on a target. Now bring your index finger up. I'm doing it at my camera here. You're still mm-hmm. accommodated onto that point on the target, but we're bringing the finger up and 
touching it just to that point that we're we're focused on right now can you see your finger yeah absolutely mm-hmm. everybody could do that they're like oh yeah you know and everybody can bring that finger right to the tippy tip point of that point on the target they're looking at and then it's like now bring your two fingers of your other hand up here and kind of form a, a sight picture of sorts you see right. all that right like like some for some people something as simple as that is all they need to like suddenly go oh that's what you mean like when you're talking about awareness of my sights or whatever it is on my gun, that's what you mean. It's like, yeah, you know, now can I choose to focus back, you know, or change my accommodation back to that, to that finger? Yeah, sure. And still Mm -hmm. see the target and be aware of the target. Sure. I can do that. If I feel like there's a need to do that, but uh, uh, yeah, awareness is, is, is where it's at. And I think, you know, we, we spend so much of our life not really thinking about how our eyes actually do things or how we navigate our world because uh, vision is such an intuitive thing for most of us. We're at some point, you know, we're, we're born. Uh, not everybody's obviously blessed with vision, but for, you know, 95 plus percent of us, we're born and we open our eyes and we go, oh, okay, cool. And something catches our attention and our eyes go to it and we take that, that in and then something else catches our attention and our eyes go to that. And we just don't really think about how to actually use our eyes deliberately mm-hmm. and intentionally. So anyway, that's just kind of my, my take on that. But now we're in this whole age of the red dot wave, right? It's taken <laughs> the world over by storm. Uh, I remember being at SHOT Show in like 27, 2016, 2017, might've been 2016. And uh, yeah, it was 2016. And, you know, at that time, there was just starting to be a, a, a few more options in the marketplace, yep. right? That, that you could buy something that was ready for it or readily convertible to an optic. Um, but it hadn't quite hit, you know, everything in all the places yet. And I remember turning to my business partner, Jacob, and be like, in five years, I think we're going to see every single manufacturer of handguns making red dot ready guns and not that not to like toot my own own horn too much but i was just trying to take in what i was observing in the industry and i was like Mm -hmm. this is going to catch on and it actually took a lot less time than you know i was was like i was picking a number out of my butt you know it was like five years you know like this is what we're going to see and probably three years later you know we were seeing all at least all the major players coming out with red dot ready guns and in some cases red dots already mounted on the guns coming right from the factory that way yeah. um why do you think this is uh is it just because it's the new the you know like people like gadgets and yeah, so it's I like oh that seems cool kind of or is there something more to it than that i think it's a mixture of two things right so it's it's like it's where the predominant market share is you know for for pistols right? It's, it's the new thing. It's the, it's the latest, greatest. It's what all the buzz is about, right? Whether it's good buzz or bad buzz or indifferent, um, it, it, it doesn't matter. That's where people's are, you know, people's attention and they're, you know, and they're anxious for new things, um, you know, kind of stems from. So um, the other thing too, is that because I believe there are probably more people nowadays actually seeking out information and training and, um, instruction or education that, um, uh, that they're not, it, and it's more predominant now. Um, 
let's say even 10, 15 years ago. Yes, I understand, you know, the training has been around since, you know, basically the beginning of firearms time, but look at how limited we were in sharing that wealth of knowledge, you know, even 10, 15 years ago to now, right? I mean, there, there's many people I know that are like, hey man, I've, I've never taken a formal class, but I've, I've sought out a lot of instruction, whether it be through social media, YouTube, you know, videos, all kinds of things like that, and been able to kind of self-train and and self-educate enough to make, you know, master class or grandmaster class, um, you know, in USPSA or IDPA or things like that. That's pretty. That's pretty amazing. When yeah, even 15 years ago, that really wasn't the case. I mean, even 15 years ago, you were like you're talking uh, 06, 07, 08, or you know, like the Magpul days, right? You know, and, and the initial Magpul DVDs or videos. That was really a lot of folks's like first, you know, exposure to, to training that wasn't uh, limited to either law enforcement or military or, you know, somebody somewhere knew somebody somewhere that allowed him into a class. You know, there was a lot of gatekeeping, um, you know, in, in the early days of training and things like that. So now people are seeking out education and things. Um, and because of seeking out education, people are exposed to a lot of new things much earlier. Um, which allows things to grow um, at a much faster rate as well. I mean, I, I think the kind of the initial red dots were what, like, I, I think there was like the doctor optic uh, red dot right. that um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Kelly McCann, um, Gabe Suarez and a couple of others, you know, had kind of like started kind of like fumbling through and kind of playing around with, you know, uh, slide mounted optics back in, what was it like? Oh, four, Oh, five, Oh, six. Um, you know, but red dots weren't really anything new. People were using kind of rifle red dot optics on frame mounted optics back in as early as 86, early. 87. Um, I was going to say that. Uh, 89 and by 90, yeah. everybody in open division in USPSA, you know, like it was like, don't even come to open nationals without, you know, a comp and, you know, a, a tubular Tasco uh, <laughs> red dot pistol, you know, like a red dot on a frame mounted optic, you know. So, I mean, it's like we've seen it grow in we've seen it grow at the fastest within the last five to six years. Um, I think it's just, a, like I said, the market, like the demand is there, you know, people want something new. They want something uh, they're getting educated on them. You know, they're, they're starting to understand, um, you know, the ease and simplicity of what they believe to be a, a singular focal plane. Well, I'm here to kind of tell you the the best iron sight shooters have been shooting with kind of a singular focal plane for, the last 40, 50, 60 years as well. Um, it just hasn't become as common knowledge as, hey, there's this new aiming, you know, uh, aiming device we can put on our pistols that allows us to do that. And you don't even look at it. You look through it, you know, which I, I, I you know, some of us kind of find funny. It's like, well, duh, we've all been doing that with iron sights for many, many years, which is maybe why we haven't seen like a, a lot of folks, I don't want to say that they're, they're adhering to the old ways, but they're just like, well, maybe I'm just not seeing the, the immediate uh, like transformation in my shooting, just going to a red dot as I would with iron sights, probably because they've been predominantly using iron sights kind of the same way that we're now teaching people to, to utilize red dots. But, you know, I mean, just as with anything, as the technique grows um, or as the techniques themselves, you know, grow and mature too. I mean, we're seeing th people do things with pistols now that we couldn't even dreamed imaginable even five, six, seven years ago. And I don't think we're at a, uh, we're at a crossroads yet of seeing like what is truly capable 
you know, regarding the aiming device on either iron sights or a red dot, you know? Yeah. Well, and I certainly agree with that. I mean, things are moving <clears throat> at a, at a rapid rate in mm-hmm. terms of the innovation in the industry with respect to a- electronic aiming devices, especially on guns. Uh, again, just looking, I mean, you, you referenced back into like mid early two thousands, Kelly McCann and all those guys. I know like even Dave Spaulding, uh, mm-hmm. I actually held and, didn't shoot, but, but, you know, saw the gun in one of his classes that he had a red dot mounted on, I think in 2005 or four thereabouts as well. So kind of in that same realm as well, uh, you know, slide mounted one. And, uh, yeah, so we're, there's, there's a lot of, uh, growth and innovation still yet to occur. And what is occurring is happening really fast. I mean, I think that's been a, a a part of this too, is that for a long time, Red dots, slide mounted red dots, especially, were kind of hit or miss in terms of whether they could handle that uh, level of abuse on a gun, right. uh, and also just getting them small enough and light enough to be able to to serve that purpose. And now, I mean, we we see enclosed opt. I mean, who imagined even five years ago we'd have uh, besides like putting a massive aim point, you know, micro T one, right. <laughs> which was a which was a thing, um, probably mm-hmm. even going back to I don't know 2011, 2012, but that's a that's a massive optic on, on a slide ride gun. And, uh, but now you've got enclosed optics that are really not much bigger than their non-enclosed counterparts. Correct. Uh, so the technology has been pretty remarkable to see in short order. And not just that, the improvements in those two to be not just in the closed emitter, but in just a period in red dots to see red dots now lasting, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of funny, you know, I mean, just as like carry optics kind of became a, a division in what was it about 20, 20, 2015, 2016, 2017, I think Somewhere 2016, there, yeah. I think was when carry optics kind of became a thing. I think that was um, the first national optics. Yep. was 2016. Yeah. And it was a, uh, it was kind of a provisional division. Right. Um, and, and people are like, ah, you know, I don't know if it's really going to take off or not, but I mean, even then the, the amount of, of optics, your choices in optics were very limited. You had about three major, you know, kind of players back then. And now just in, I mean, it's, we're now 2012. So we're talking six years time. Um, and now, I, I mean, look at what's available now and they don't even have to cost five, $600 a piece. I mean, you can buy a, a decent like Holosun optic, you know, which uh, I, I would probably say is right now, probably the most popular optic, um, you know, for, for folks to either try their hand at with, uh, with carry optics or, you know, in competitive realms or to even try their hand at, you know, as far as mounting, you know, on a, on a defensive pistol and you can buy a hollow sun now for, you know, what about sub 300 bucks, 290 yeah. to 340, right. 350 bucks, depending on, you know, size and shape and things like that. Like how crazy cool is that? And warranties to really back up the product and build quality to really back up the product. You know, I mean, it was, it was unheard of to have an optic that lasted seven to 10,000 rounds now. And now you've got optics that are, you know, that have been subverted to, you know, 25, 30, 35, 40,000 rounds without ever even coming off the gun. And still, you know, yeah. This one's got like 24, 25,000 rounds on it, uh-huh. which let me make sure it's still on. Yep. Still on. <laughs> I don't know how it survived that many rounds. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 
Anyway, so I mean, it, it's yeah. it's pretty cool, you know. And, and it's so funny how so certain people are like, ah, you know, I'll wait until they become, you know, they, they become a little bit more quality, or you know, the, the 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 resilience as far as you know, like how long they last and things like that, or reliability is increased. It's like, bro, we're here, we're here now, you know. I mean, it, for for and, yeah. and to put that in, like people are like ah, twenty thousand or twenty five thousand rounds doesn't sound that doesn't sound that uh, that reliable, but you got to think about the average consumer, right? They're, they're not people like you or I that compete every single weekend or take thousand round weekend classes or teach, you know, 700 to thousand round classes, you know, 50 weeks a year. I mean, the, the majority, the overwhelming majority of gun owners are, are going to, they're going to, even if they put a red dot optic on their gun, they'll never wear it out because they won't ever wear out a gun. They'll shoot maybe I don't know. I don't even, I couldn't even really fathomably put a number to it. Maybe less than 3000 rounds in the life of a pistol. And that's, I think that's honestly, that's yeah. overestimating. So, yeah. I mean, if you have optics right. that are willing to go five times that length. Yeah. I, we're here, you know, we're, yeah. we're already at kind of the, I don't want to say the, the, at the pinnacle of progress, but I mean, we're just now touching the surface of kind of, progressive use of red dots and things, yeah. you know, more law enforcement departments now are allowing red dots on, you know, on, on duty pistols and things as well. I think it's great. Yeah. Interesting question actually from Matthew here. He says, would you say that high level shooting competitions, bringing technology and techniques to the average shooters is like how formula one and Indy bring technologies to regular passenger cars. And this is a perfect question for Mr. Heron. Cause you used to race cars. Yep. 100%. Like no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, even though as, as competitive shooters, right, we, we make up less than probably 3% to 5% of the overall market share in the firearms industry. We are still important to any uh, company that's, that's within the firearms industry because we're basically the beta testers. Like we're the people that are, that are doing all of the, uh, you know, all of the reliability testing to help the companies then improve their products for, you know, the, the overwhelming majority, uh, you know, kind of market share, which is the average end user that's maybe shooting 3000 to 4,000 rounds in a lifetime on a pistol. So absolutely. Um, you know, wh whether people want to admit it or not, <laughs> it, it is the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that as well. Uh, and that's kind of how it's always been in competitive shooting. In, in fact, one of the purposes for the founding of IPSC, International Practical Shooting Confederation, stated in the founding documents that was one of the desires was to test uh, not only methods and techniques, but also equipment and yep. see, you know, they, 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 hey, this is we, we want to create practical shooting competition so we can test techniques and equipment that might relate over to the defensive use of a handgun. It, it was 100%. I mean, uh, like we got our starts, our start in the defensive realm, you know, whether or not, not granted, have we progressed a little beyond that? In some ways, yes, but our roots are still deeply, um, in you know, like uh, testing uh, as far as skills, techniques. Uh, dare I even use the word tactics, you know, and things like that. I mean, those things are still are, are what is tested to find out who possesses the best or who can share the best techniques. And, and I think it's, it's great to know where we came from. And unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, like are short-sighted and, or have overlooked that that's, 
that's where practical shooting really got its got its start and has continued to uh you know to kind of to kind of be the test bed for things yeah yeah well we see it's interesting to even be a small part of seeing just because you know i've been actively shooting uspsa now this is my i just concluded my third season and in that time seeing the little influences in the practical shooting sports i mean particularly carry optics because it has come on so big oh huge yeah as the kind of defensive market has also been catching up to that a little bit as well with respect to seeing more and more red dots on pistols and kind of seeing like a lot of the things you see being used competitively start showing up in the consumer market and there's there's a definite influence there. I mean, Absolutely. Max Michelle, you know, gets sponsored by SIG a number of years ago. He starts shooting carry optics exclusively. He starts running a SIG gun with SIG optics. The next thing you know, you see a bunch of SIG guns with SIG optics out there. Yep. You know, there, there's an influence. You see uh, Nils just absolutely crushing it this year, uh, winning four national titles in the handgun shooting uh, disciplines yeah. and a two gun title USPSA, USPSA, USPSA two gun. and IDPA nationals yeah. <laughs> with yeah, a cannon. Unstoppable. Yeah. You, you with, know a, with a pistol that, that most people even, and this is the great thing to look at too, is the, the progression of quality equipment and it not necessarily meaning also like a progression in price tag because it's quality equipment. Right. I mean, uh, for example, uh, five years ago, even, or even four years ago when, the SIG P320 X5 came out or the X5 Legion. Um, so that gun had a, at an initial price tag of what, about $899. So it was like right at $900, yeah. right? And then um, it was cut for a SIG optic. If you got a plate, a plate was about $80 to $90. And then you had about a four to $500 optic to mount to it. Uh, base pads, spring tuning, trigger, other things that you would do to it. Basically, uh, by the time that you were, you were ready to go for competitive shooting, you had a um, you had a pistol that probably out of pocket was about fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars, you know, and then then like Max Michel goes out and crushes you know the the competition with a pistol that comes direct from Sig uh, with a with kind of a price tag around what thirteen fifty or so maybe maybe just a little under a little over uh, kind of a street price yeah. on it's like twelve hundred bucks or so yep. and it includes yep. the optic it includes the you know the the competitive trigger it includes magazines I mean you're ready to just like basically find a holster and plug and play, you know, and then like look at what Canik, you know, this, this Turkish aerospace engineering firm has done with a pistol that even five years ago, people were like, meh, it's a Turkish gun. And, you know, kind of snub their nose at it. And now it's, you know, like in this year and last year alone, it's probably the winningest pistol um, in existence. And it's yeah. less than $600 entry. You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Well, so, Guess what you're going to see a lot of next year? You're yep. going to see a lot of canics. You yeah, really absolutely. will. And and, and that's a pistol actually that uh, translates pretty well with their number of options that that are a little bit. Uh, I mean, they've got a lot of different options, including some smaller, you know, compact or subcompact size uh, versions as well. Maybe not exactly of the rival, let's say, but uh, point right. is, so is like the Meta, right? The the SFX Meta, um, yep. which is a smaller. Uh, a little more, uh, it's like a slightly compact uh, pistol uh, for more carry and things like that. But I mean, yep, even yep. if you were looking at just a full size pistol to to shoot, like maybe just even dip a toe in the water uh, of competition. Um, and and I 
I, I say this kind of loud and clear, hoping that every other striker fired pistol manufacturer out there will listen. And that is y'all are doing it wrong. And Canik is stepping up to the plate and doing it right in a number of ways. Right. So most everybody is like, okay, we've, we've got a pistol that's got a, you know, this, that's an optics ready pistol, but seek out further information from the manufacturer and we'll give you a plate for whatever optic that you choose. Canik says, now nah, we'll do something better than that. We'll provide the plates that are already machined and ready to accept a number of optics. In fact, with the rival, we'll give you six plates. Um, all of them are like um, amazingly CNC machined. Um, and, and not only that, they're not threaded into aluminum. They're going to go ahead and put steel thread inserts in an aluminum plate so that they're more robust and more reliable for whatever optic mount you want and you get to choose it. Oh, by the way, we're also going to give you a magwell. Oh, we're also going to give you spring choice. Oh, we're also going to give you an amazing trigger and great and useful iron sights. If iron sights are your game, right? It's like, holy cow. And you get all of this in this wonderful package for, like I said, I mean, even the original MSRP list price on that gun was like 620 bucks, you know, $620. And the first time I opened up that package, I was like, oh my God, like SIG, Smith & Wesson, Glock, everybody else should take notice if you guys are not packaging something like this for the end user to be able to do whatever they want to do with it, like listen to Canik because Canik is like, Canik has truly listened to, you know, to the end user and it, and, and has, and has brought something to the table. That's, that's pretty damn remarkable. So. Yeah, I agree. It really is. Uh, it's, it's tempting to even me, you know, and I, I run the three twenty, and I love shooting the three twenties and you know, sponsored by Grey Guns and love sure. running their stuff, you know, but I look at, yeah, I've held Nils's pistol and uh, it's, it's a great gun and clearly he shoots it well. Now he could probably shoot anything well, but uh, it, it, it's a great gun. There's no doubt I, about you know, and, and, and honestly, like we were, you know, you and I have been talking before, you know, like I'm, I'm very honored to have, uh, to have gotten an opportunity to represent uh, Six Hour, you know, back in the, uh, the, you know, the amateur semi-pro, uh, you know, gray shirt days uh, with yeah. the, uh, with Team SIG back in 2014 through 2016 um, and, and get to see what USPSA um, like helped uh, and what, com what competitive shooting kind of helped to develop uh, and, and see how far that like the, the original P320 kind of turned into with the the original X5 and the X5 Legion and things. So, I mean, my heart's kind of near and dear to, to seeing the success that Six Hour has had. And even I was so overly tempted with the with the Canic pistol uh, and talking with Nils and things like that. You know, I, I handled his a couple of times and I was like, I dude, for the I, I can't beat it for the price. Like, I'm going to go buy one. And I, I'll be honest with you, Riley, I've I've kind of set my SIGs aside in the safe and I've been pursuing, you know, shooting this, this Canik uh, yeah. more and more and more. And um, it's been, it's kind of been my go-to carry optics pistol now for about the last like three or four months. And it's, and it's a, it's a rocking pistol. Yeah. Yep. Let, let's address this quick question and let's get back uh, kind of to the, the meat of our discussion here. Matthew sure. also asks, how's that CZ P10 full-size competition optics ready pistol doing in competition? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'd love to hear your perspective. I was just going to say, I haven't seen many of them. I haven't the either year or two of competition. I've seen three or four. Um, I, I just I, like, honestly, I think most people are kind of more drawn to, um, you know, kind of what's most readily available. Uh, so I'm starting to see, obviously, 
Um, the uh, the two predominant pistols I'm seeing right now have obviously been the Sig, uh, the Sig P320 X5 Legion, or the uh, the X5 Max. Um, and I think it's just because it's most ready to go. Um, I'm still seeing quite a few Walthers. Uh, the Walther Q5 SF is still kind of a, a kind of a kind of a hot pistol. The Canics have definitely grown in popularity. Um, and, and no, I'm not, uh, sponsored by Canic. I kind of saw one of those, one of those questions pop up. I'm not sponsored by Canic, but I, I do check kind of truly believe in the product just because again, uh, I've invested, you know, my own money and time and, and, and spent a lot of time, uh, just invested in kind of behind the gun too, and seeing what they're made of. Uh, I'd say the other real predominant pistol we're seeing right now is a growth in the Walther PDP. That's kind of the, that's kind of the new one also that's, uh, you know, that's optics ready, pretty well tuned from the factory, got a really good trigger in it, things like that. Um, that's, uh, that I'm, I'm seeing kind of increase in popularity as well. But honestly, right now, I, I think the overwhelming, uh, pistol of choice for, for competitive shooting has probably is, uh, is the SIG X5 Legion or the X5, yeah. uh, Max. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I agree with your assessment on all of that. So back to iron sights, or yeah. red dot. So we, we, we've kind of covered a lot of different things here. Uh, you know, we, we've talked at the beginning kind of about iron sights and iron sight use and, and some of the, even the technique a little bit behind that. We've touched on red dots, even some of the historical context a little bit and the growth in the, in the sports and in the industry. So I, I think that where it all comes down to is I think people look at this a variety of ways, uh, a couple of ways. One, one would be uh, what is, you know, is there a, a better choice, a better option, just generally speaking? And, and that might be in a, like some people might be looking at that purely from a performance perspective of does one of these two sighting options result theoretically or perhaps in reality in higher performance? And the other side of this and that may be, might be more of the competitive side. And sure. the other side of this is definitely the defensive side. And this is where we see some of the, I think, some of the strongest opinions where people, uh, you know, kind of like, well, you know, they may look at red dots as being, well, I just don't think it's, you know, durable enough, strong enough, you know, going to take the, the abuse of a, of a street cop, for instance. Uh, mm-hmm. Or some people might look at it from a, I just don't know that under stress in the heat of the moment. Uh, in compromised positions, maybe even shooting one-handed because of X, Y, Z reason, context thing, that it's you know going to be what you need in that moment. Uh, so there's there's a lot of really strong opinions, including from some very smart, experienced, respected people uh, mm-hmm. on the defensive side, not maybe being. F- you know, having some, I, I guess, just some strong opinions about red sure. dots versus iron sights. So. Uh, Let's let's tackle that a little bit more directly yeah. now. Where do so you want to I, take it? I love, uh, like, honestly, and, and this this coming from a guy, right? And you've known me for years now. I have been, and probably will continue to be, predominantly a nineteen eleven, uh, you know, single stack or nine uh, or double stack nineteen eleven twenty eleven, um, you know, like an end user, like just like to me, and and I'm not afraid to tell people. Like, I always kind of tell them, like, to me, nineteen elevens have a soul. Right, there's just something about those pistols. Uh, you know, they 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 require some some tuning. They require some hand building. Um, you know, like somebody else's blood, sweat, and tears kind of help build that gun. And I love iron sights, but at the same time, like I 
I, I love technology. I love new stuff. I love when new things come out. Striker fired guns are obviously here to stay and have been since 1985. You know, um, I, I, I don't see any, either one of those going anywhere. Sighting systems. I don't think you're really ever going to see iron sights go anywhere. I don't think they're just going to fall off the face of the earth and never be, never be relevant anymore. Um, I definitely, you know, I, I see currently red dots becoming more prevalent because again, like they're the, they're the new, they're the new thing. Um, I do believe we'll see that taper off a little bit just as demand and technology start to kind of, you know, kind of, kind of start to stack up and I don't want to say limit themselves, but we, we all know as, as things mature, right. It would kind of get to a point where like, well, I don't know what else you want from us. You know, manufacturers would be like, I, we've, we've, we've got an optic that, you know, now the battery lasts 10 years and it's guaranteed to last a hundred thousand rounds. There's, there's not a whole lot else left yet, you know, and I, we'll, we'll eventually see that just kind of like we have with, with iron sights. And then we'll see things kind of like circulate, you know, like about every 10 or 15 years, we'll see everything kind of cyclic. Um, but I mean, I love iron sight shooting. I like, I see the benefits of both. So that's a long way to kind of segue into, um, I see both, I see both arguments and I agree with both arguments and I disagree a little bit with both arguments. So there's a lot of great points that Ken Hackathorn brought up regarding um, red dot use, right? For And he's not wrong. And I'm going to tell you this right now. He's not wrong <laughs> to a lot of people that are probably going to take uh, or, or did take, you know, like personal offense at first when he said that, you know, that most people within, you know, inside of 10 yards or most people are not going, um, you know, red dots are probably not going to be as advantageous uh, within 10 yards. He's also talking about like the end user is probably not going to spend the amount of time to learn how to use a red dot pistol properly. And if either of those two things are the case, like if your idea of gun ownership is this pistol is just to protect me or my family within within seven to 10 yards, um, or this pistol is going to basically see just enough use to maybe shoot, uh, you know, 50 rounds once every six months or whatever. And then it's going to be kind of tucked into a sock drawer because it's just my home defense gun. Red dots aren't for you. You know, uh, there's, there's literally going to be zero benefit for you to have a red dot on a pistol, whether you believe you aim easier or better, or they're easier to use or, or, or whatever. It's just, it, it's honestly, it's just not the case. There's not enough. There's not enough advantage there to leverage against the other things that kind of come into play there. Battery life, you know, um, in, in a, in the use of a pistol, even in, in a home defense situation for the, for the average end user that uses the pistol themselves to like tuck away in a sock drawer or a nightstand or a gun safe, they're probably not going to leave the dot on they're going to turn it off. And when they turn the dot off, are you prepared to fumble it, you know, fumble yourself all the way through to learn how to turn the dot back on to be able to use it just like, like a weapon mounted light or anything else. Right. I mean, other, other things that you're going to have to leverage, you know, to, to get the, the advantage from them just mean like for the end user, you're going to have to take some time to familiarize yourself with turning them on, turning them off, how to use them under duress and how not to. So, I mean, a lot of those things, like if somebody's like, oh, I've had this guy with a red dot on it for the last five or 10 years. Now what happens? You know what I mean? 
like, okay, they pick the gun up and they get ready to use it the first, fr- for first time and they turn it on and the battery's dead. Or, you know, like, I mean, things that do have a, like a, like a service life to them. Um, iron sights, you don't have to worry about batteries or things like that. But at the same time, you do, like, you still need to familiarize yourself with their use, how they're used, how, how, you, how do you align them properly to a target, um, at what distances, you know, do you, do you focus on different things or, or be more aware or less aware of certain things? So, I mean, it, it's like Ken brought up a, a lot of great points there. Um, average end user, probably not going to see a whole lot of advantage to a red dot. Um, end user that does seek out train, uh, training instruction, um, you know, or, or lots of use guys yeah, like you and I, um, there definitely are advantages to a red dot. And they're probably beyond that eight to 10 yard or 12 or 14 yard uh, frame of reference as far as like target difficulty. Um, like most people that are using iron sights efficiently are probably predominantly more target aware or target focused all the way out to about 15 to 18 yards or 15 to 20 yards. So they're not really seeing any, any like sort of like super advantage to a red dot. Um, a little bit beyond that or almost immediately beyond that. Yeah, the red dots definitely uh, definitely do have a, uh, a significant advantage, both in not having to change my focal accommodation. Um, I don't have to change my focal convergence to anything. Um, but it, again, in order to get that advantage, you've got to train with them. Um, the great thing about iron sights is People talk about like, well, red dots are intuitive to use. You you aim, you superimpose the dot on something, and you're ready to you're ready to fire. Yes, but iron sights themselves are extremely intuitive. Like we know how iron sights operate. There's a front sight and a rear sight, and as long as you kind of just align, and all they're all they're there for is to basically help you align the bore of the pistol to a particular spot on a target. The thing that makes iron sights so intuitive is that they have an infinite level of visual index. Meaning if the iron sight were aligned clear over here and the rear sight were aligned clear over here, and I'm trying to get this in my camera, like I know because I've got an infinite realm of being able to visually see everything that, hey, that's not aligned. And now I know which direction I need to align the bore, right, to get the front sight and the rear sight more aligned to the target. Whereas a red dot, you've got a very finite amount of like focal accommodation, uh, or, or uh, visual index to be able to know where the the emitter is being reflected in the back of the glass. So if you're not familiarizing yourself or not training to uh, to better, like more consistently present the gun um, the same way to the eye, you're going to have a hard time finding the red dot. Having a hard time finding the red dot is going to be um, very disadvantageous to you in a fight for your life, let alone talking about, you know, like a competitive environment or things like that. So this is where we see people that, that actually um, have a degradation of skill at closer distances or farther distances upon initial, uh, you know, like initial presentation to uh, the eye because they've never really spent enough time to refine their, you know, kind of their, their index or their, or been able to myelinate their, hand position, grip position, and the way that they they lift the gun to their eye. And if you're not the type of person to spend some time um, to, to learn to do those things better, 
red dots are probably not for you uh, to be to be blatantly honest and like i said i i love red dots and i i shoot the hell out of them um but i also know uh without a doubt like where they're where their shortcomings are. And their shortcomings are, if you're not the type of person to spend some time actually training with them, don't get one. Point blank. You know, and that's going to be, that. Uh, honestly, that that kind of shadows uh, or replicates a lot of the same thing that that Ken Hackathorn said. You know, a lot of people, like, they've, they've become so polarized in this red dot to iron sight, you know, kind of argument. And it doesn't have to be. It's simply, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, just a different, aiming device. Mm-hmm. You still need the aiming device or an aiming device to truly be able to better align the pistol to said target. Or as you said, maybe not to aim it, but to, uh, what was the term you used? Confirmation. To, 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 com- to, to confirm the yep. alignment of yeah. like the bore to whatever it is that you're, you're, you're looking to shoot at. Yep. So. Yep. Iron sights don't have batteries. Iron sights do fail. Um, you know, I've seen plenty of rear sights and I've experienced plenty of rear sights or front sights that have inadvertently fallen off or, um, you know, they take proper fit to uh, to make sure that a, a rear sight or a front sight is is properly dovetailed and attached to or, or fixed to the slide on a gun. Um, you know, and this is, this is why there's an entire aftermarket of, you know, front sight and rear sight choices or whatever to, to better suit our visual needs and things like that too. Everything from fiber optics to uh, tritium inserts, to big dots, to small dots, to, you know, different sizes and things like that as well. So, I mean, it, um, you know, like to think that one or of the other aiming devices don't fail, they do fail. Um, I'm also not one of these instructors that have just tracked either for my own needs or for the needs of students to, to just push um, you know, like again, kind of one polarizing opinion over the other. I've seen honestly just as many red dot sites fail in my classes as, as I've seen iron sites fail. And to be honest with you, that number is not that often. Like, t- like either way, you know, I mean, people are like, well, you know, I, in my classes, I see very few iron or very few red dots fail. I see a lot of iron sites fail. Mm, it's to me, it's it's honestly, it's almost equal. You know, guys that like made their, they they lifted their gun out of the holster and the battery failed at the at the time that they needed it the most. Whether it be for a drill or an exercise or things like that, I've also seen people you know like <laughs> lift lift their gun or they've been fighting like a zero issue and then they happen to actually look down and look at the gun and they go, oh, well that's not good. You know, my windage screw or my elevation screw or my adjustable rear sight or you know has come loose or has fallen off or the, the actual rear sight itself has started to drift one direction or the other, or like on Glocks, for goodness sake, that the front sight is kind of just a, a teeny tiny little screw that's threaded in um, and having those, those factory screws, even on aftermarket sites, start to back out and now the front sight's kind of flipping, flopping around. I've seen it happen with all kinds of things. Emitters or diodes dying on uh, on red dot sites. You know, I mean, like I said, uh, and honestly, I, I can't say that one is more predominant than the other. Failures are failures. Aiming devices fail. Mechanical things, man-made mechanical things, gasp, do fail, you know? And so uh, uh, it, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's neither here nor there on that. I hope you've been enjoying this interview together with Tim Heron of timheronshooting.com. I know I enjoyed our time together so much so that we went quite a bit longer than our typical planned hour-long 
or so episode. So actually at this time, we're going to conclude this episode for today and call this part one. Come back for the part two in our next episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. So until then, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.